second hour of love babs love talk on babs Earl's ivy you know it's black history month so we play in all the blackest music we could possibly play in two hours this morning i am delighted to have carlton highsmith come on this morning because he gonna be talking to us about a, a, I, I don't know who outside the circle would know about sigma pi phi the boule but we're gonna get into it this morning uh, i know about it because i run into circles where i would know about it <laughs> Unmute yourself and let's have a conversation about Sigma Pi Phi and the, the Beta Beta Tau chapter here in, in New Haven. <laughs> okay, I will. First of all, Babs, thank you so much for uh, allowing me on to talk about um, a real a project that is really dear to our heart at uh, Sigma Pi Phi and also to talk about the secret society that no one knows about. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> <laughs> so listen, I know something about uh, the Boule because they were founded in 1904. They are not a collegiate fraternity, but it is the oldest black fraternity in the in the world, I would say. Um, and it has a chapter here in New Haven um, that has a long and storied history. And y'all move about the world doing all kinds of cool stuff. So you've got promising scholars coming up. Yes, yes, we do. Uh, promising scholars, not to be confused, with the promise, New Haven promise. Uh, ours has been around actually longer than New Haven promise. Um, our fraternity, um, the New Haven uh, Boule, was established in 1983, as you know that. Mm-hmm. And four years later, uh, because education is so central to the members of our fraternity, because it was an education that got most of them out of poverty. Uh, many were first generation college graduates. And so it was important to us, um, as we look at our pillars, one of the pillars of our organization is to reach back and to help uplift our community. Uh, We could think of no better way to do that than to sponsor scholarships for really high achieving uh, African-American students in the New Haven area. And so we actually started to award scholarships in 1987, uh, mostly from checks that were written directly by the members of the Boulet. Uh, and that continued until 2004, uh, when we actually formalized ourselves around a nonprofit organization we called Promising Scholars. And as Promising Scholars since 2004 has been awarding scholarships to amazing Black students throughout New Haven area. So, I, you know, just the fact that y'all have the power to just open your checkbooks and like, this is what we're going to do. We're not even going to have a nonprofit. We're going to just write the checks and we're going to do this collectively. And, oh, well, you know, I guess now we should just organize and and, and do this thing well, with a nonprofit. Actually, actually <laughs> it, it was because we wanted to have greater impact. Uh, we recognized that uh, uh, we had limited capacity and if we were to organize ourselves around a nonprofit organization, we could go out and raise money from other folks. And that's primarily the driver behind why we did that, uh, to be able to uh, issue larger scholarships to more kids and have greater impact. So when you talk about scholarships, like what kind of money are we talking, Carlton? Because college is is exponentially more than when I went to college. And I've been out of college 40 years. 
And uh, and when I look at what young people, the debt that they're carrying and the and the and the load of that, I I don't know how parents and people do it. What kind of scholarships are you able to help offset um, um, these exorbitant prices of, of an education? Well, I'll, I'll give you the recent history. Uh, last year and the year before, and actually this year as well, we're going to be awarding a total of fifty thousand dollars in scholarships to New Haven area kids. Uh, and we try to divide that up uh, between seven and eight students. Wow. So can do the math. So it's not a minimum amount of money for students who are trying to pay for college education today, which is extraordinarily expensive, as you said. It is. And so so tell me a little bit about the criteria. Like, how do how do people find you? Uh, when do you open your application doors and what's the process like? Well, Babs, we use a, um, a national organization called uh, Scholarship America, and that's what they do. Uh, they administer scholarships for organizations all across the country. And so we use Scholarship America. They have a portal, um, and I'll give you the uh, portal uh, access through the web. Um, you submit your application through that portal. Uh, they actually have our selection criteria that we provided to them, and they have a panel of uh, assessors and judges, and they will actually assess all of the applications and recommend the recipients to us. So it's independent of uh, the local boule. We just are looking for outstanding students academically, uh, students who are leaders in their school, in their community. Uh, who have a passion for excellence. Those are the sort of the criteria that we established. And mm -hmm. Scholarship America selects those students for us. So is it a is it a, a one semester scholarship, a one year scholarship? Is it is a, a continuing scholarship. Like if you get it once, do you get it all four years? Like what's the what's the criteria? That's a great question, Babs. One of the things we try to do um, is make it renewable. So okay. a student who wins it as an interim freshman can apply again as an interim sophomore. Uh, and I'm delighted to say we have any number of kids who have wanted all four years. So it is renewable. Oh, I love that. I love that. And so it's not limited to just men, boys. No, no, it is not. It is not. Um, we named our scholarship uh, the Edward A. Boucher Award. And we'll mm -hmm. talk about Edward A. Boucher because those who travel Dixwell Avenue will see a mural of the young Edward A. Boucher at the corner of Dixwell and Henry. Um, but we do not just award our scholarships to um, black young men. We have women as well. And thanks to the generosity of um, a donor who wanted to uplift a young lady by the name of Anna Louise James, who was the first black pharmacist uh, in uh, Connecticut. Um, we've added to our scholarship fund and we award two additional scholarships in the name of Anna Louise James to uplift that uh, outstanding young African-American female who was the first black pharmacist in the state of Connecticut. You just gave us a little black history fact. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that. I run a yeah. whole black newspaper. I did not know that. Yeah, she ran for years, an incredible little pharmacist, pharmacy in Old Saybrook. Wow. 
I like that. So, so, so tell me about Edward Boucher and, and why he's important to, to the Boule. Well, first and foremost, he was born and bred in New Haven, and that was important to us. Um, his father um, was a manservant to a student at Yale. Um, years and years ago, when Yale would recruit students from the South, they would typically arrive in New Haven with a servant, with a manservant to serve them while they were students here. And Boucher's father was one of those manservants. Grew uh, up in New Haven. Um, early on, he was recognized as being an outstanding student. Uh, so much so that they offered an invitation for him uh, to attend Hopkins um, Glamour School at the time. And it was, at the time, as you know, a preeminent um, college prep uh, school in the country. And so Ed Boucher went to Hopkins, graduated from a one in his class at Hopkins. So he didn't have any of the resources that most of the white kids had at Hopkins. He finished from a one in his class. And they had a tradition at, at, at Hopkins where if you finish number one of your class, uh, you got to speak at graduation day. Well, because of the color of his skin, Ed Boucher was not allowed to speak at that graduation at Hopkins. But that didn't deter him. He went on to enroll at Yale, Yale College. He was one of the first blacks to do so. And you can imagine the racism and discrimination that he experienced uh, back in the 1860s attending Yale. Mm. Um, but he persevered. And actually what happened at Yale, perhaps he did exactly the same thing he did at Hopkins. Finished number one in his class. And he, and he got his degree in three years. Ah. Three years. And Yale did exactly what Hopkins did. They had a tradition of allowing the valedictorian to speak, but not Ed Boucher. He was not allowed to speak. So, so does that help you use leverage to get Yale to fund some of the scholarship money? <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 they, what Yale did do to their credit, thanks to one of our distinguished uh, members, we call our members archons, uh, Dr. Curtis Patton. Uh, Dr. Patton is retired now. But Dr. Patton was one of the first black professors in the School of Medicine there. Um, and uh, Dr. Patton has been one of the ones who has really uplifted the story of Ed Boucher, so much so that other colleges around the country have recognized the work that uh, Dr. Boucher had done. And so um, Dr. Patton petitioned Yale to acknowledge the accomplishments of Ed Boucher. And so there's a painting that hangs in the Great Hall at Yale um, of a young Ed Boucher, um, much uh, to the credit of Dr. Uh, Patton, who has helped Yale to acknowledge that. that hmm. Do you know if, if there's some Boucher still in New Haven? Um, I believe there is. There is a, um, a niece, and I can't remember her name now. Oh my gosh, I feel so horrible. But there is a Boucher uh, offspring, a niece of Boucher, who lives in New Haven right now. Wow. And she's a pretty distinguished young lady, but I can't remember her name. I, I'm just, you know, it's, a, it's, it's not a common name. And, uh, and I, would, I, I always wonder, uh, when people who are born here at that particular time, uh, where, where the roots go. 
So, mm-hmm. so I'd be interested in, um, in in hearing that. So so you've been having scholars since 1987? Yes. And do you keep track of them? Where are they? Tell me, do give, give me some of the highlights of, of some of the scholars that we might know. And what are they up to? Okay, that's a very good question. Um, a few years ago, we actually hired a researcher and now we have a, a record contacts of every recipient since 1987. Wow. Uh, at some point, we're going to try to pull together a reunion of sorts. Uh, let's see if you can recognize any of these names. A few you may not. Keon Collender, as an example. Keon is a graduate of UConn. He went on to get his uh, master's degree in health administration from Michigan, University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. And now he's back in Connecticut working for Hartford Healthcare as a director in their health equity uh, division all around the country doing magnificent work about health equity. Um, James Brockington, does that name sound familiar? Yes, yes. Um, Pierre Russell. Yes. Uh, James was a recipient of our scholarship. He attended Johnson and Wales. He's become an entrepreneur extraordinaire. As a matter of fact, Saturday night, I was at Lyman at his uh, annual dance recital with 1,500 other folks as these magnificent young uh, dancers throughout New Haven uh, performed for us. And that's all because of uh, James and his wife and Tia Russell Dance Studio. They've done a magnificent job. Um, We have Dirk Johnson. Dr. Dirk Johnson uh, is a trauma surgeon at Yale Waven Hospital. Um, we have Alexis Smith, who is the director of New Haven Legal Services. I know her. We served on Common Ground Board together. I know yep. you know her too. <laughs> I do. A Duke graduate. She was one of the early, early recipients of the award. So those are a few of our of our award recipients. And what we try to do, Fabs, in addition to providing the money for these students. We also try to develop relationships with them, engage with them uh, throughout their college careers to provide sort of mentorship, uh, advice and counsel they may need while they're uh, attending college or university. I remember um, James Brockington as an example, when he was down at Johnson Wales in Charlotte, um, he was given a project by a business professor to interview a CEO. Um, and he was a kid from New Haven, and he didn't know any CEOs other than he remembered our uh, engagement with him at our fraternity award ceremony. So he reached out to us. And so we were able to have one of our members fly to Charlotte, meet with him and his team, and give him the interview that he needed for this class project. And we try to have to develop those kinds of relationships with uh, our recipients. Mm. So tell me about the award ceremony. Is it a big shindig? Because as I recall, the Boulets threw some of the most elegant balls and parties. I don't know if y'all still do that because I don't know if I'm on that list anymore, but. <laughs> Actually, Babs, what we try to do uh, with our with our students, our scholarship recipients is celebrate them and their families and their accomplishments. So yes, there's lots of pomp and circumstance around our ceremonies um, to honor these kids. Um, The pandemic uh, has put it in the virtual world the last three years. This will be the first year in three years where we're actually gonna be getting together again 
in person. And we try to, to really do it up big for the kids to celebrate them and their accomplishments. We make it feel sort of like a graduation. Um, we award them not just the check for their scholarship, we give them a medal, of Edward Boucher's bust. Um, so we try to make it really special for the kids. Wow, I, I want that. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a nice scholarship. <laughs> nice scholarship thing so so you so Carter, tell me why this is so important to you I mean I know you are you this is your fraternity but y'all could do all sorts of different kinds of things why why is this particular why is the scholarship piece um so important there's so um much um that I could say about why we do this particular initiative I think if I look at one of the founding principles of our fraternity, it talks about reaching back to the community to try to uplift the community. And education is such a central core to who we are in the Boule that mm-hmm. we could think of no better way to do that than to provide uh, not just money access to these, to these youngsters, because as you mentioned earlier, money to attend college these days is a tremendous tremendous obstacle for so many people, but also um, giving the kids access to the members of our fraternity, and there are 37 of us in Beta Town in New Haven, giving them access to us will help, we think, um, get over the stigma that so many of our kids have when they get to a college campus of, do I belong here? Mm. So we want to get rid of that stigma. Yeah, you belong. And not only do you belong, you can excel there, as did Edward A. Boucher. Mm. That sounds like um, you must have been listening to some of the concerns and 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 challenges that young people are having uh, around uh, uh, their their own authenticity on in spaces that may or may not be absolutely welcoming, welcoming, but not absolutely welcoming. So it sounds like you've been listening to, um, uh, to, to, these, to these young students talk about what their experiences or past students, what they've experienced. Is that the case? It, it is very much the case. And not only do I listen, I also share some experiences with them um, because it's not a phenomenon that most of us have not experienced. I will tell kids, um, and they laugh. You know, I look, would, used to look in a mirror, particularly as a young corporate executive before I became an entrepreneur. I would look in a mirror every morning and, and and ask the question: Is this going to be the day they find out I'm not as smart as they think I am? Mm. And the kids hear that, and they say, "You could never have had those self doubts." Well, yeah, I did. Is this going to be the day? They discover that I'm not as smart as they think I am. Wow, that is a that is a. I mean, coming from somebody like you that have, that has accomplished so much, sort of brings it to a place where they can have some um, connection to what success can look like, even in the face of feeling those kinds of insecurities. That's ex- exactly right, and uh, I've always maintained. They have to, to see it, to be it, right? And oftentimes they'll look at uh, us and members of our fraternity and they can't see themselves 
in us. And our job is to um, convince them that they are us. They can be us. Mm. It's going to take work, hard work, determination, drive, but they can be us. So, you know, so Carson, at, at this point in your life, you know, I'm going to ask you the Oprah question. What do you know for sure about how to achieve, how to sort of uh, define success? How do you, what do you know for sure about the pathways to get to where people think they want to be in terms of what they want to accomplish? And, and that's different for everybody. But I would imagine that you have some concrete steps about how to sort of position yourself for success. Very profound and hard question, Bass. But I think, I think it's one first of of envisioning what what how do what do I see myself as? What ultimately does success look like? And it's going to look like different things for different people. Uh, but it first starts with what is that vision? Um, and then it's okay. What do I need to do each and every day to work toward that vision? And they're baby steps, they're giant steps. Uh, sometimes you trip and fall, you pick yourself up and you say, okay, is that vision still one that I embrace? And you go back at it. I mean, that's as simple as I can put it. You first have to envision what it looks like. And it's gonna look like different things for different folks. Like today, my happiness <laughs> comes from my six grandkids. That's what I look forward to most of anything else. How do I engage with my six grandkids <laughs> at their level? <laughs> well, it's spoken like a, a true grandfather because guess what? They go home. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> you get to send them home. You get to game. love on them and then send them on home. Fill them up with candy and all the stuff and be like, okay, now you got to go home to your... To your parents, to your parents. So, so what do you what do you want? Um, you know, this is a this is an interesting time, Carlton, for young people. They are they are uh, dealing. We're starting to see young people have language around their mental health concerns. Um, some we are seeing more and more kids come through and out of abject poverty. You know, we're seeing school systems that. Um, are fractured at best. How do how do we position our kids to sort of find success? Well, uh, that's a really profound question. If I had all of the answers there, I would uh, really actually be in DC right now. <laughs> with uh, Biden and his, and his you know, we could send you. We could get you. You know, we that's just a phone call. <laughs> well, well, I we think need, it, we need I you think here. It, it, I think it starts, uh, perhaps, with what you just said. Uh, there has to be a, a recognition that we have issues today that are profound issues that are going to adversely impact uh, an entire generation of kids. Um, and it's not just black kids. It's all kids. I get a chance to, when I perch at Quinnipiac University, uh, to see the issues with the kids that are coming into college now out of the pandemic, the sense of of, of belonging, of loneliness, of dysfunction that has been caused by being in seclusion for uh, three years, trying to uh, uh, survive in this virtual world for the last three years. 
So I think it takes a recognition on the part of the policymakers that we have a generation in crisis and we need to devote the resources to delivering to these kids the help they need, the assistance they need. Um, so I, I get upset when I don't see a sense of urgency from the policymakers, the people that can make a difference, who make choices about how monies get spent, how budgets get allocated, because we have kids in crisis and they need to be dealt with, absolutely needs to be dealt with. I think you're absolutely right. So, so let me switch gears. Tell me some other activities that's going on with the boule. I'm sure a scholarship, I mean, I, I know that's probably the cornerstone of what y'all do, but what else, what else do y'all do over there in the secret society? <laughs> <laughs> well, one of, one of the things we have coming up um, October 1st, uh, and this is related to our scholarship fund, um, our big fundraiser each year is our golf um, tournament. Um, so October 1st, we have our annual golf tournament. Um, that's going to be, uh, like I said, a spectacular event. We have over 100 golfers, which is right each year. We try to make it a special event. Um, Friday night, um, our wives are known as Akusa. So this Friday night, about half the fraternity are getting together at a club in, I think, Seymour. Mm -hmm. um, and they're going to have dinner. And uh, we have Alisa, the, the, the salsa lady, coming to administer a salsa lesson for those of us who don't know how to salsa. <laughs> so we'll be dancing the night away on Valentine's Day with Aracusa on Friday night. That's, that uh, sounds wonderful. <laughs> yes. I, who am a horrible salsa man. I mean, I am absolutely the worst. So I'm going to be embarrassing myself on Friday evening. That's right. You know what? Alisa will get you right. She'll get you, she'll get you tuned in and tuned up and you'll, you'll feel like you, you are straight from the Caribbean. You will get it. I, I have every, I believe in you, Carlton. <laughs> we, Abbas, we also have, we also have um, a social equity uh, or social uh, action committee of our fraternity. Uh, over the last two years, we were actively engaged with a lot of the professors and med school uh, folks at Yale on health equity. Uh, how do we make uh, the health system more responsive to the needs of our community? But we did a tremendous amount of work around health equity. Uh, this year, our project is going to be around minority business development, economic empowerment. Uh, so our fraternity is going to be uh, partnering with uh, Concorp and the lab at Concorp. And how do we uplift, how do we sponsor and promote um, Black-owned businesses in the New Haven area? So... Uh let me talk a little bit about that. So uh, why are Black businesses still very much challenged by getting a foot in for opportunities and growth and development? What, what, what is your, I mean, you are a preeminent, well-known, successful businessman. What is the problem? There are lots of them, perhaps. I think it starts, I would give you two, I give you to my top two, my top three. Um, I think my first one would be, uh, and I think this is on everyone's list, access to the, the capital they, they need to mm. sustain and grow their business. I mean, that remains an issue for our community. I think lack of a, an honest uh, assessment of their value proposition. What should be their strategy for going to market? What is it that is gonna be special about you that's gonna make you successful? How can you sustain this business? So I think the value proposition, and we try to deal with that 
uh, at Fort that, that is done at Concorp and the lab. Uh, I provide workshops on strategy development, workshops on how do you assess, you know, your customer, how do you assess your competition, things like that. So we think that's really going to be in, important as a uh, as a factor. And I think the other thing is is just getting a mindset to scale your business. 90% of Black-owned businesses have no employees. That's astounding to me. We need to create uh, Black-owned businesses, larger Black-owned businesses that employ folks in the community. And we're working at the lab to try to do that kind of work. Um, so you have to have you know, entrepreneurs who have a mind that's scalable. Mm -hmm. And once the mind is scalable, then have your business be scalable because we need larger Black-owned businesses that can employ folks in the community. Thank you for that. I just, I, I just could not not ask that question. Having you here, even though you're here to talk about, you know, the promising scholars, I just could not like pick your brain a little bit about, you know, uh, these matters of development, business development, and and all the things that uh, you're doing, and the things that the fraternity itself is doing, because um, I'm there are people listening who are very interested in and in, uh, how you move in the world and how the boule moves in the world, and so. So I I'm, I'm, I just could not not ask that question. So so when does the promising scholars get to apply? What's the de what what's the opening opening dates and deadlines? Our portal became active on January twenty third. Oh okay. It's open right now. Okay. And we'll we'll close at four p.m. on March sixteenth. And what's the portal? What's the what's the what's the uh you have the uh. Link, uh, very, tell me? Very, very, very simple. Promising Scholars Fund dash Edward A. Boucher dot <laughs> org. Okay. All right. So they can go in, start the application process. I'm sure there's steps that are very clear. There are steps, um, upload information, get stuff what they need, and and then there'll be a, uh, some folks who will review that. And how soon would they find out if they are awarded a scholarship? We will uh, make award announcements um, the beginning of April. So it does not take very long at all. From the time the portal closes, the first week of April, we'll be making announcements as to who the winners are. We'll do and so, so, Carlton, do you attribute the turnaround, the fast turnaround of this, because you're using a system that that takes care of all that, and it's not you trying to get your brothers together to <laughs> sit up all night <laughs> looking over. Yeah. yeah, the entire the entire application process, as you mentioned, is digital. Um, and Scholars of America is very, very proficient at this. Um, they have access to the transcripts. The letters of recommendation are all submitted um, digitally. So they make their recommendations really very quickly for us. Mm -hmm. So we'll know the first week of April who the recipients. And do you all do a, a scholarship rollout once a year or do you do it a couple of times a year? Once a year. Okay. So this is the big time. This is the time right now. This is the big time right now. And then you spend the rest of the year fundraising so that you can do it all again next year. That's exactly right. Okay. All right. So before I let you go, and I know you have to go, what is the best possible Thing that you like about what you're doing right now? Oh my goodness. When I see uh, people like James Brockington, as I did on Saturday night, um, who has just blossomed into this 
entrepreneur extraordinaire or to Keon Collender um, in demand all around the country in the talks on health equity and how we get uh, our communities um, better, uh, more equitable health care. When I see that, the essence of what we do, the evidence of what we do, that's what delights me. The brilliance of these young people, because um, we want them to be all that they can be. That's what we're trying to get them to be. Thank you so much, Mr. Highsmith, for keeping the, the educational flame alive. I appreciate you. <laughs> Thank you for the opportunity to talk about our secret society. It's not, not a secret anymore. <laughs> Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. If I don't see you Valentine's Day, happy Valentine's Day to you and your wife. And uh, enjoy your salsa night. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, Harry Jones, that is our Wednesday wrap-up, and we are out of here. We'll be back tomorrow. I think I'm talking to uh, Gary Tenney. We're going to be talking about um, the fire department and 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 uh, um, what's going on in the fire departments all across the country and, and, and how uh, women are still having a tough time getting through uh, uh, trainings and coming through the ranks. So I'm talking to Gary Tinney tomorrow and I think he's bringing a guest. So I will see you all tomorrow. Enjoy your day. If you have opportunity to get over to the creative arts workshop, uh, you want to go see, uh, that wonderful exhibition that Nico Whedon, um, and, uh, of the blog fund has created in, a in a concert with the creative arts workshop you would love these artists go see their work it is stunning and i will see you all tomorrow bye harry